Remember those this is your brain on drugs ads? What about this is your brain on a pandemic? A new study out of Stanford University found that the brains of teens assessed after the pandemic shutdowns ended appeared several years older than those of teens assessed before the pandemic. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Congress is back today to continue negotiations on end-of-the-year health policy priorities, including a bill to shore up the country's defenses against future pandemics. But partisan disagreements and a long December to-do list is putting that legislation in jeopardy, and lawmakers are worried its best chance for passage is slipping away. President Biden has signed a bill to avoid a looming rail workers strike, triggered in large part by a lack of paid sick leave. A bipartisan coalition of lawmakers in the House and Senate tried to get seven additional paid sick days for the workers added to the agreement, but couldn't muster the votes to get it across the finish line. And Megan Wilson has been reporting on the soul-searching that Washington's top pharmaceutical lobby is doing after its biggest legislative loss in decades. Hey, Megan, great to see you. Hey, so nice to be here this morning. So uh, you have a pretty spicy report (laughs) out about the pharmaceutical industry's loss in this year's debate over drug pricing rules and how they're grappling with that and trying to understand where they went wrong. How did they uh, lose so badly on one of their top priorities? Yeah. So my report talks about how pharma, which is the industry's largest uh, trade association, it's got the world's largest drug companies um, as its members, is trying to figure out what happened in the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act and what they could have done better. So, I mean, it sounds like the kind of autopsy that the DNC and RNC undergo after an election. Is that normal? (laughs) Yeah, it's actually, you know, when there's a loss, it's this significant, right? You know, pharma's used to getting its way in policy battles, right? Throwing, you know, tens of millions of dollars at things, just like they did with this. However, Democrats managed to secure a Medicare negotiation, which the industry has long said is an existential threat to development of new drugs and treatments and cures, the investment in new drugs, treatments and cures. And so it seems like a standard step. The report is asking, you know, member companies, how do you think our relationship is with Democrats on the Hill? How do you think it's with Republicans on the Hill? And what could we have done differently? And so it's partially about Uh, taking accountability and figuring out what happened, but it's also sort of a diplomatic exercise in making member companies feel heard after such a massive, massive loss. And, you know, just to remind listeners, uh, the drug industry did successfully weaken a lot of the bill and, and make it, you know, cover fewer drugs and kick in later after many years. And so the version that passed was influenced by them, but they wanted to kill it, right? Totally. Absolutely. You know, you look at, you know, the Democrats' larger drug pricing measure known as H.R. 3. What passed as part of the IRA is a fraction of that. They did successfully chip away at it. However, I think there was a lot of confidence within the industry, uh, or at least the association, that they were going to be able to kill it outright. Clearly, that's not what happened. So Steve Ubel, the pharma president, told you before the law passed that he wouldn't give a free pass to Democrats who voted for it. How did that actually play out in their midterm campaign contributions? 
That's exactly right. He said that, you know, the association was going to do uh, everything it could to hold Democrats who voted for the Inflation Reduction Act responsible and sort of touted all the resources that pharma has at its disposal. And let's be clear, pharma has a lot of money. This is a $600 million a year organization. I mean, that's bigger in terms of revenue than the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, by about you know, double, like more than double. And so, as we know, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed and and has become law. You know, we haven't really seen that come to fruition. During the midterms, uh, they did not run, you know, attack ads against, you know, vulnerable Democrats. They did not cease all of their PAC political action committee donations to Democrats. And that's because pharma's in a tricky spot. A lot of their member companies are located out in California, located in, you know, Massachusetts. It's a tough place for them to be in and a tough stance for the CEO of an organization that's sprawling to sort of make on behalf of all of its members. And so I think they kind of had to, you know, quietly and internally walk some of that back. Steve Ubel has been at the helm of pharma for more than five years now, which is longer than most of the historical leaders of pharma in the in the most recent past, right? You know, you had former Congressman Billy Towson, who led the organization and was actually ousted from his job after the Affordable Care Act, and the industry thought he cut too many deals. But the thing is, is that people really like Steve. But pharma members pay tens of millions of dollars each per year in dues. And so they need to feel like, you know, their voice is being heard, especially after a giant loss. We'll be right back. So are we going to see what this autopsy report says once once they do it (laughs) please leak it to us yeah note (laughs) if you do see this report my dms are open there's going to be a high level readout i'm told at their board meeting uh, their december board meeting and with something as sensitive as this it's probably going to be done in something that's called an executive session where there's no staff it's just, you know, the CEOs, the the actual folks on the board. But I mean, the, one of the interesting wrinkles in this, they're calling it an after action report, is that they've hired a BGR group and, and the CEO, Bob Wood of the BGR group to conduct this report. They also pay BGR a lot of money in advocacy. It's one of the many, many firms they have on retainer. They don't just have BGR and retainer to do lobbying, but it is one of their higher paid you know, lobbying firms. So there is questions about, does that incentivize them to not necessarily criticize their advocacy strategy that much? But it doesn't look like, you know, we're going to see anything unless somebody uh, sends something in, in an unmarked post. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the industry moves forward from this. So you reported before that pharma is not sort of giving up, even though this bill already passed, because it will take years to implement, they are going to try to keep chipping away at it, like you said, weakening it. Is that also part of this analysis of how to influence the law even after it's passed? It's my understanding that this is just sort of a retrospective, a post-mortem. But, you know, I do think that that one of the, the benefits to, to doing something like this is to sort of inform how you approach things going forward, right? Not a lot is going to get tweaked legislatively, obviously, when you have, you know, Joe Biden in the White House, you've still got a Democratic Senate. 
but they will be laying the groundwork, not for a full repeal, I don't think, but to make tweaks along the margins, both on, on a legislative level. And then also, as the, the regulations get implemented, you know, there's currently meetings with CMS ongoing right now and with the drug industry and the patient advocacy groups and things like that to sort of influence how the implementation of this is going to go. And, you know, obviously, Democrats saw the passage of this as a huge win. They campaigned on it, even though a lot of the provisions, a lot of the core provisions won't go into effect for several years. So like you said, I I can't imagine that we will see a complete backtrack on this. But (laughs) it's interesting that, you know, they've already signaled, including in, in your interview, that they plan to go at it through regulation. And so some of those impacts could be blunted. They also, uh, next Congress, are probably going to be looking to get some blood from some of their, you know, industry enemies, right? During the IRA Inflation Reduction Act debate, there were a lot of commercials about, you know, industry middlemen, pharmacy benefit managers, insurance companies, and the role that they play in the drug ecosystem and how, you know, Congress should be taking a look at them and, and the role that they play. You know, I do think that other areas where the pharmaceutical industry is involved, like the 340B drug program for hospitals is going to, you know, come into play and they're going to go after hospitals. The how they move forward isn't solely isolated to drug pricing from an Inflation Reduction Act perspective, but, you know, their advocacy strategy as a whole. Well, we will be following this closely. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.